A week ago Saturday, I was playing at a 4-H golf tournament, a scramble to raise some money. During the tournament, on particular holes, you could put a ticket in for a drawing that would be hand, uh, conducted after the tournament was over. So we were all gathered in the clubhouse for this drawing, and there were many drawings to be done, but the first four were jackpot cash prizes of about $200. Went through the first three jackpots, and the fourth jackpot, the guy who's calling out the names, he pulls out a ticket and he says, Kevin, I can't read the last name. <laughs> Kevin something. Kevin U-E-C something. Is this guy here? Now, at that moment, what I needed to do was to say, that's me, right? I mean, that's the way you should respond. You know that that moment demands that particular response, that's me. If I had just sat there and said, well, I don't think that's me, the guys who were with me say, are you stupid? That's you. You should be standing up and getting your prize. And so that particular moment demanded a particular response, and any other response would not have made sense. I will tell you that one of my other tickets won a prize, and he called out, Kevin, yeah, you, <laughs> and he held up a bottle of tequila. <laughs> now, that's a moment that demands a particular kind of response, too. So here comes the new pastor at First Baptist Church up to claim his bottle of tequila. Well, there happened to be another guy sitting at another table, and he won one of those beanbag games. And I was like, you know, this guy might like some tequila. So I walked over and said, I'd like to propose a trade, my bottle of tequila for your beanbag game. And he got real excited about that. So I came on with a beanbag game because there is a way to respond to every moment we're in. And there are certain moments that demand such a particular response that any other response just doesn't make sense. Every single Sunday we gather here is just such a moment. You remember the Gideon story from last week? Gideon is out taking care of his wheat, and he's taking care of it in such a way as to protect his wheat from the Midianites, because the Midianites have been holding the Israelites under oppression for seven long years. They'd come in and they would steal the produce, and so Gideon's taking care of his wheat in an unconventional way to protect it. And the angel of the Lord shows up and commands Gideon to go and to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Well, Gideon needs a sign that this is really the Lord telling him to do this, and God grants him this sign. And Gideon's encouraged that the Lord is really with him. And now Gideon is ready to obey. And so God gives him the first task. He is to go to his home and he is to tear down the altar that's built to a foreign god, a false god that his family and the people in his hometown are using to worship a false god. He does obey the Lord. Now, he goes at night because he's scared to do it in the daytime, but he goes and he tears down that altar and he discovers that he didn't really need to be scared at all because God was, in fact, with him. And now Gideon's ready to obey the bigger command, go and deliver Israel from the Midianites. Well, he's almost ready because he wants to ask for another sign. You remember the fleece? He puts out the fleece. 
And he says, God, when I wake up, it'd be really great if the fleece would be wet and the ground would be dry. Then I would know that you're going to deliver Midian into our hands. Sure enough, he wakes up and the fleece is so wet he can fill a bowl full of water, but the ground is dry. And Gideon says to the Lord, could I ask for one more sign? How about in the morning the fleece is dry and the ground is wet? Then I'll know that you have promised to deliver the Midianites into my hand. The next morning he wakes up and the fleece is dry and the ground is wet and Gideon knows the Lord is with him and he is ready to obey. Almost. Gideon gathers 30,000 people together and God says to Gideon, that's far too many because if you go into battle with 30 plus thousand people and you win, you're going to think that you actually did it and I want you to know the only reason you're going to win is because I'm with you. And so God reduces Gideon's number to 300. He has 300 men to go fight innumerable forces and Gideon is scared once again. But God in his graciousness says to Gideon, if you're afraid, I want you to go down to the tents of the Midianites because I want you to hear what they're saying. Well, Gideon was scared and so he goes down to the tents of the Midianites that night and he's listening and he hears coming from one of the tents one guy recounting a dream that he had. He tells this friend of his the dream and the friend says, I know what this dream means. This dream means that God has handed the Midianites into the hand of Gideon. Well, the moment Gideon heard that information, he knew God was with him. He bowed down on the ground and he worshiped the Lord. He immediately got up from that moment of worship and he took his 300 men and they went into the battle and they were victorious. God delivered. Gideon and his family from false worship. God delivered the nation from the oppression of the Midianites. God was with them. He was their deliverer. That moment demanded a particular response. And now we get the rest of the story. Judges chapter 8 Starting in verse 22. Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. So the people come to Gideon and say to Gideon, You've delivered us, we want you to be our king. And we want your son to be king after you. And we want your grandson to be king after your son. We want you and your house to rule over us. Quite an offer to Gideon. To be made king over Israel. And look what Gideon says in response to this offer. Verse 23, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Gideon's response in that moment is exactly what we'd want Gideon to say. No, God is king. 
He is ruler over us. He's the one who's delivered us. I've not delivered us. God has. We need to follow him. He is the one that's going to rule over us. This is exactly what we'd expect Gideon to do in this moment of faith. I'm placing my faith in God and his rule over us. He's delivered us, and you must do the same. But look what happens. Verse 24. Yet Gideon said to them, I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. And they said, we will surely give them. So they spread out a garment, and every one of them threw an earring there from his spoil. And the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was over 1,700 shekels of gold. That's about 35 pounds of gold from earrings. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants, the purple robes which were on the kings of Midian and beside the neck bands that were on the camel's necks. Verse 27, Gideon made the gold into an ephah and placed it in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. They worshipped as an idol, that ephod, so that the ephod became a snare to Gideon and his household. What in the world happened? What in the world happened? Read the rest of the story here with me. Let's see if we can't figure out what happened. Verse 28. So Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel. And they did not lift up their heads anymore. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years in the days of Gideon. The land experiences God's deliverance from the oppression of the Midianites. He grants them freedom. And look what they do. Then Jerubbaal, this is Gideon, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons who were direct descendants, for he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a ripe old age, was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Abiz, Abiz, there we go. Verse 33. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals, made Baal Berith their God. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the household of Gideon in accord with all the good he had done to Israel. The end of that story tells us what happens both to Gideon and the nation. It's not good. God sets them free and then they run right back into their idolatry, full on rebelling against the Lord who delivered them. The turning point for Gideon his household, and the nation of Israel was when Gideon made a life decision that was in conflict with his previous moment of faith. He made a life decision that did not make sense in light of his faith moment. He said to the people, the Lord will rule over you. We're going to follow the Lord. And then Gideon fashions an idol and sets it up in his hometown 
probably in the place where he tore down the idol, the altar, to the false god. And the nation of Israel worships the idol and becomes a snare for Gideon and his household. The downfall happened when Gideon made a life decision that was in conflict with his previous faith moment. There's another indication in the story of just how bad things really were. Isn't it interesting that the the writer of the story says that Gideon has 70 sons, but tells us one son's name, just one. He says his name is Abimelech. You know what Abimelech means? It means my dad is king. Isn't that interesting? They come to make Gideon the king, and Gideon says, no, the Lord will rule over us. Then he builds an idol, and everybody begins to worship that idol, and there's a drift away from the Lord, so much so that Gideon names one of his boys, my dad is king. What does that tell us? Gideon changed his mind somewhere along the way. Do you know who becomes king in Israel after Gideon dies? His son, Abimelech. And it is a disaster. And it all happened because Gideon made a life decision. He created a pattern of life that was in conflict with a previous faith moment. Every single Sunday that we gather in this place, you know what we're trying to do? We are trying to create an opportunity for each one of us to have a faith moment. A moment where we experience the presence of God. Where we hear clearly the word of God. And we choose faith in Christ over every other option. Where we as a people say before the Lord, the Lord will rule over me. I want the Lord to be king of my life. I want to submit to who he is and what he says. I want to follow Christ. That is what this moment is supposed to be like every single Sunday we gather in here. A faith moment. So you may come in here with fear of something. You may be coming in here with anger towards someone. Maybe you come in here with apathy or despondency. Maybe you come in here with frustration. Maybe you come in here with some level of brokenness or sadness, sin or rebellion. When you come in here with whatever you come in here with, our goal is to create an opportunity where you have a moment of experiencing the Lord and His Word so that you say, I choose faith in Christ over my fear. I choose faith in Christ over my anger. I choose faith in Christ over the frustrations I have in my life. I want Him to rule over me. I want to follow Him with everything I am. This is a moment of faith in Christ over every other option. That's why we're doing today. So that we would come here every week week in and week out, and gather and experience the presence of the Lord and hear God's word clearly proclaimed so that we would say who he is and what he says is the right thing for my life and I want to submit my life to his rule and reign every single moment of my life. That's what this is supposed to be, a faith moment. I personally look forward to every single Sunday I gather with you in this place. 
I, I love that I get to preach. I enjoy preaching. I feel like I'm using my gifts to serve you. But I want you to know, preaching is not why I look forward to this moment. You know why I look forward to this moment? Because I know that along with you, I will experience the presence of God and the Word of God. So that with whatever I walked in here with, God will give me a clear choice to choose faith over anything else. I need this faith moment to experience the presence of the Lord, to hear His Word so that I orient my heart to Him right and anew. So that I'm able to say, the beginning of the week, the Lord will rule over me. But that's not all that this Sunday is about. No, see, this Sunday is also about making sure we're lining up our life decisions with our moment of faith. Let's say you come in here and you are angry with a neighbor or a coworker. Maybe your coworker is a really messy person. It just agitates you. And they don't keep their mess out of your area, and you're just sick and tired of them. And you've been treating them bad. Maybe your neighbor is one of those neighbors that has issues with how you do your yard keeping. And mows a crooked line into your yard just to make you upset. And you're fed up with that neighbor. And you come in here, and you've got issues with your neighbor. And then you come into this place and you experience the presence of God and you hear the Word of God so clearly to your heart through the Spirit of God. And you recognize in this moment, you know what? I'm not treating my neighbor like God treats me. I've offended God. I've not honored Him perfectly this last weekend, yet God welcomes me into His presence because of Jesus Christ and His love for me. And He's forgiven me of my sin as I put my faith in Christ. And God has lavished His kindness on me even though I do not deserve it. And I'm not treating my neighbor like that. And all of a sudden in this moment, because of the presence of God and the Word of God, you say to God, I want you to rule over me. I don't want to act like I'm the king of my own life. I can treat my neighbor in the way I think my neighbor deserves it. No, I want you to rule over me, and I want to treat my neighbor like you have treated me. And all of a sudden, you have a faith moment where you're choosing faith over anger. Maybe you're here this morning, you've not read your Bible in days, maybe weeks, maybe months or longer. And you come in here and you hear the Word of God proclaimed and it, it speaks to your heart and you experience the presence of God and you think to yourself, man, I am so thankful God has given us His Word. I had no idea that the Old Testament really mattered as much as it clearly does and I want to read my Bible more. Lord, I want You to rule over me. I don't want to live as the king of my own life acting like I don't need to read the Bible. I'll be just fine without Your Word. No, I want the Word of God in my life and so today I'm saying to You, Lord, You are Lord over me. I'm choosing faith over my my apathy because you promised to speak to me. And this becomes a faith moment. Maybe it's more personal. Maybe it's, it's with your spouse. You'd say, you know, I've not been loving my spouse like I need to. 
I've not been investing in my marriage in a way that people could look at our marriage and see the gospel clearly. You come into this place and you experience the presence of God and the word of God and you say, Lord, I recognize that I'm not living right in my marriage. I'm not loving my spouse like you want me to. I'm not serving my spouse like you have served me. I'm expecting my spouse to be something before I am anything to him or her. And Lord, that's not right because you're everything to me when I was nothing to you. So Lord, I want you to rule over me and I want to choose today faith over unfaithfulness. And you have this faith moment. But see, what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we line up our life decisions with these faith moments. You've got to decide this morning what is your week really going to look like? What are you going to do on Monday? When you show up at work and there's that coworker, and your faith moment on Sunday was, I want to love my coworker like Christ has loved me. But what's your life decision going to be on Monday? How are you specifically going to serve and bless and honor and love your coworker that previously you just assumed got fired and you never had to see again? What's your life decision going to look like? Is your life decision you make Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday going to be the only response that makes sense to this faith moment? Or will it be in conflict to this faith moment? What are you going to do with reading God's word tomorrow morning? Are you going to open your Bible and begin to read it because you believe God has promised to speak to you there and you need his word for life? What is your life decision going to be? Are you going to leave this moment of faith where you say the Lord rule over me and then go your way and do something that is in total conflict to this faith moment? If you do that, you're putting yourself in a great position of terrible threat. See, if you don't make life decisions that line up with these faith moments, your likelihood of experiencing more faith moments greatly diminishes because you're going to increasingly put yourself out of the position to experience the faith moments that so dramatically change your life. If if you want to walk with Christ, what you're going to do is say, I'm going to keep putting myself in the place to have faith moments with the Lord. And from these faith moments, I'm going to make all the necessary adjustments to line my life decisions up with the Lord. Those past life decisions that are not in line with previous faith moments, I'm going to adjust. My future life decisions I'm going to make this week, I'm going to make sure they line up with this faith moment because I need more faith moments with the Lord so He can continue to adjust my life to following Christ because that's what life is as a follower of Christ. One faith moment after another so that we might align our life decisions with Jesus Christ and be used for His glory. But if you don't adjust your life decisions to this faith moment, you will be drifting away from the Lord and you will experience disastrous consequences. A drift away from the Lord is always disaster for us because the Lord would want us and prefer us to walk with Him and line up our life decisions with these faith moments. So what was your last faith moment? 
What was your last moment? Before today, when did you hear God speak? When did you sense God's conviction in your life? When did you recognize this is the moment where God is so working that I am ready to choose faith over anything else? I want to follow the Lord. Maybe for you, that was when you decided to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. You made a decision, I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ the rest of my life. I want him to rule my life. He has given his life for me, and I want to follow him. Maybe it was a couple months ago, and the Lord worked in your life and spoke to you and gave you clarity about how you were to follow him. He convicted you of some sin, and you said, I want to follow you. I don't want to live that way. I want to live following you. I want to turn direction and follow you. When was your last faith moment? And does your life right now line up with that faith moment? Do your life decisions reflect that faith moment? Or do your life decisions look like a response that simply doesn't make sense? Today, is a faith moment where we are in the presence of God and God's word is speaking and we can choose right now in this moment to line up our life decisions with Jesus Christ, to line up our work life, to line up our home life, to line up our church life, So that everything is under the rule and reign of Christ. And we can make a plan today to leave this faith moment and carry out a life decision that creates a pattern of living that says the Lord will rule over me. This is one of those moments. And I exhort you to line up your life decisions with Jesus Christ.